Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is on Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and is titled, What the Lord Requires of Us, Part 3. And we've been focusing on a particular verse, Micah 6, 8, and the commandments that God gives us there, three different commandments. What does God require of us? And he gives us three different things there. I would say very carefully, they are commands, they're not suggestions. It's not like, well, here's an option for you or anything. No, these are commands. And blessed are the one, you know, we, we automatically, we say, well, why, why should I do that? Well, because he said, start with that. Uh, there are blessings that go with it. You know, what do I get from it? Well, let God handle that. But because he said it, you do it. Your life will be so much better if you'll handle things that way instead of I need to see some uh, proof of how this is going to benefit me kind of attitude because um, that's going to put you behind to be sure. So Micah 6, verse 8, again, the commands of God show, He has told you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We've been going through these three commands that God has given us. We've been through the first two. We've also seen how in these first two, how, how incredibly operative is the, uh, the verb that goes with the thing we're supposed to do. It's not just justice, but do justice. It's not enough to feel a need for justice or cry out for justice or complain about injustice. It says, do it. Do it. We saw last time, it's not just a matter of having mercy or feeling mercy. What does it say? Love mercy. You got to get your heart into it. You got to get tangled up in it. You've got to get your hands dirty in order to fulfill what this says. Well, as is true in the case of the previous two, so it is with the final one. Uh, it doesn't just say uh, to be humble. It says walk humbly. And how important and incredibly important that is. We just got out of Christmas season. Let's say that this Christmas, underneath the Christmas tree, you got a book. And it, you unwrapped it and there was a book on dieting. How would that make you feel? Or maybe it was a book on, uh, the title was Overcoming Selfishness. How would that go? Would you be able to say thank you? Somebody gives you stuff, you're supposed to say thank you. Would it be, if you said thank you, would it be tantamount to saying that you were overweight and you were obnoxious? Would it be the same thing? You know, we can receive gifts that can be humbling to us. Maybe, maybe a humiliating gift for you was a time in which you were in financial need and Mom and dad ponied up with some money or a friend or a brother or a sister or someone else. It's humbling to accept something like that, is it not? Sometimes gifts can be very humiliating. And, and I would suggest to you that, uh, albeit there are humiliating gifts, there's none more humiliating than the actual original gift of Christmas. God sending his one and only son to become a man is the most humiliating gift there is. Because I'm telling you right now, it says for sure that you're lost and can't do a thing for yourself. And that nothing short of the, 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 the incarnation and the death and resurrection of the Son of God, nothing short of that can rescue you from your impossible state. You can't pull yourself up. You can't fix yourself. You're totally dependent unless God steps in in, a, in the biggest way you could possibly come up with. Unless he does, we're done. That's humiliating. It indeed is. Humility is a tough thing. Would you agree? A.W. Tozer 
uh, was introduced very flatteringly at one point to uh, speak to a congregation. When he got up to the pulpit, the first thing he said was, God, I ask you that you just forgive this man for what he just said about me. And then he says, and I ask you also to forgive me for enjoying it so much, he said. <laughs> Augustine was once asked what the three most important Christian virtues were. And the first one, he says, well, first of all, there's humility. And he says, then there's humility. And then let's not forget about humility, he said. Uh, how incredibly important humility is. There was a preacher preaching a sermon series on humility and when he finished one of his congregation came up to him and shook his hand and she said to him, preacher, I'm so glad you preached on that. She says, you need to know something. Humility is my forte, she said. <laughs> I've had, had some church members like that, you know, I have to say. So we're going to be digging a little bit deeper into this whole issue of humility so that we can see if we can't come up with, uh, maybe it'll be our forte as well. Um, it says very definitely here to walk humbly. What does that mean, walk? Well, if you're walking, that means you're, you're, you're not running and you're not skipping, you're not sprinting. It's not a leap. It's a process. It, it implies a continuancy. It implies a, a, a plodding, if you will. A lot of us don't want to plod. I just, I want to have these uh, miraculous uh, jumps ahead, right? Uh, I'm better, way better today than I was yesterday. And there, there's some, been some, some points in my life where God has opened my eyes and changed me significantly. But I would have to say the majority of the changes that take place in my life have been that plodding, just continuing to do the same thing faithfully. And it's a walk. And that's ultimately what it is. It says to walk humbly with our God. So in several things, first of all, if you're going to walk with him, you can't stay where you are. So he's not leaving you, right? But he's also not fast forwarding you. It's, it's a plodding, it's a moving, it's an every day and it's all day. He's the God of our dress up clothes on Sunday morning. He's also the God of our work clothes on Monday morning. He's the God of our workout clothes. He's the God of our bed clothes. He's the God of wherever, however we're dressed. Uh, he's got to be. It's, it's, it's an every day. It's a continual thing. It's got to be a process. It implies several things. It conveys friendship. Amos says, right? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Do you agree with God? That's an important question. You know when it says confess your sins to God, he will cleanse you and forgive you from or forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? That that word to confess literally means to agree with him. Are you agreeing today with God about your sin? You can't walk with him unless you do. How can you walk with someone that you don't agree with? Not very long, right? Just to prove a point, maybe. So it implies friendship. It implies understanding. It implies a common agenda. Are you and a God on the same agenda? Takes humility. By the way, it won't be your agenda in case you don't know that. You know, that's the problem with pride is I have myself an agenda and God needs to find his way. I got a page and God's got to get on it. Well, no. He's got a page, and you'll be better if you'll find yourself on that page. Common agenda, side by side, going the same direction. Think about it that way. Are you and God going the same direction? Are you opposing God in areas of your life? That's a problem. 
I would submit to you it's the epitome of arrogance, don't you think? I know better than he does a statement you're making. Not a good statement, to be sure. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? The answer is no. They cannot. Again, walk humbly with God because it's not possible to walk pridefully with God. Those are exclusive things. If I'm going to walk in pride, I'm not going to walk with God. But if I'm going to walk with God, it's going to be in humility, to be sure. Familiar with the name Edwin Hubble? Edwin Hubble, you're probably familiar with his namesake, the Hubble Telescope. Well known for his intellectual prowess. Uh, Before he was ever known for what was running around between his ears, he was known for a lot of other stuff. Uh, He was an incredible uh, high school athlete, grew up in Illinois, 1906 track meet in particular, his senior year. He won in one track meet, he won the pole vault, the shot put, the discus, the hammer throw, the standing high jump, the running high jump. He was on the winning mile relay team, and he got third place in uh, the broad jump. He also that year set the state record for a high school athlete in uh, the running, running high jump, or standing high jump, I'm sorry. He was an incredible, I mean, uh, do you know him for that? That's one of the things, he had all kinds of stuff. In fact, they said not only was he an incredible athlete, he was also super good looking, like to a fault, they said. He was just an amazing good looking man. We know him for his brains, but he was known for a lot of other things uh, prior to that. He was uh, handsome to a fault. He was the first Rhodes, one of the first Rhodes Scholars to Oxford. Uh, he wrote a landmark paper, here's where you come to know him probably, 1924, he postulated that the universe contained many galaxies. He went on to prove that. Up until that time, up until his statement, all we knew was the Milky Way galaxy, and that's all we thought there was. Well, he began to realize, he began to find out, he began to research and do tests and find out that those things that look like stars out there, some of them are not stars. They're actually other galaxies. In fact, not only did he prove that there were other galaxies, he also proved, he himself proved, and is, well, is known for this, that, the, that our universe is expanding. He proved that. Now, if you had all that going for you, would you say, that's a pretty good life? I, think, I would think I was doing pretty well with even one of those things. Well, unfortunately, that's the upside of Edwin Hubble. The downside of him was that he had a problem with humility. He didn't have any of it. He wanted to be known of all the things he was known for, he still wanted to be known for more stuff. Here's some of the things that he claimed to do. He claimed, for instance, to, that he spent most of his 20s and 30s as a prestigious lawyer in Kentucky. The truth is, is that he was a high school teacher in Indiana for those decades. Why would he make stuff like that up? Because all he had wasn't enough. You see, that's what pride, that's what arrogance does for us. It, doesn't, it, it leaves us wanting and, and pushing for more. Another thing he claimed, he boasted that he was a World War II hero, that he bravely led fighting men, quote, uh, safely across the battlefields of France. The reality was is that he arrived on the battlefields of France less than a month before Armistice and most likely never heard a shot fired. That's the real story. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad, especially for those of us who have always been good at humility all of our lives, right? <laughs> You're seeing a picture of yourself, aren't you, in some ways? Because our arrogance and pride pushes us here. Other things that he did, he bragged that uh, he had taken on an exhibition bout with a world-class boxer and it knocked him out with one punch. 
It never happened. It never happened. You'd think it would be enough, but pride never has enough, does it? Arrogance never has enough. That's why Jesus says you cannot ever be happy where that is. Happiness comes in meekness, comes in humility. Jesus says of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. A number of reasons why you're going to be blessed. Actually, the best translation of that word blessed, at least for our ears, the way we understand it, is happy. Happy are the meek. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I would think, well, that would make you pretty happy, right? Well, here's what you need to know. By the time God's done taking over the world, if you will, it will only be the meek that are left. The humble will be, if you start out humble, you will be taken down from there. You want God to oppose you. God resists the proud, right? But gives grace to the humble. Happy are the meek. Happy are the humble. Happy are those who don't flaunt the stuff they've got or, or especially come up with the stuff that they don't have. Um, happy are they. Humility, listen, means being precisely the person that we actually are. Some of us are scared to death that people would know us for who we actually are. Listen, God already knows it. You already know it. You might as well let us all in on it. Because eternity is going to be all about who you really are anyway. Heaven or hell, they're going to both be places of humility. What do we have that God hasn't given us? You name one thing that you have accomplished. No, God has given this to you. He's given you your life. He's allowed you to be born. He's given you intelligence. He's given you abilities. He's given you opportunity. He's given you health. I would, I would dare say don't start taking credit for that stuff unless he starts taking it back. Humility. Humility. Happy are those who are realistic with, about themselves, realistic about their sin, realistic about their relationship with God. The dictionary uh, defines meekness or, or humility as a, it says, deficiency in courage. So is that right? Happy are the cowardly? Is that what it says? That's not the real definition. Because the same word for meekness here is the same word in both Old Testament referring to Moses. I wouldn't call him coward. And the same word in the New Testament referring to Jesus. And I definitely wouldn't call him a coward. He's calling us to be like himself, is he not? He is. The Greek literally means to be gentle, to be patient, to be submissive, like a horse that's been saddle broken. When you break a horse to be ridden by a saddle, it takes away all his strength, doesn't it? N no. No, and if you don't know him, don't get in a stable with him because you're going to find out that he's broken for only certain people and maybe not for you. No, it does not. It just means that his, 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 his strength is submitted, submitted to the whim of his master, to the decision of his rider, right? That's what it means to be broken. He's got no less strength. He just reserves it. He keeps it. He holds it. It's not weakness. It's power under control. It's what the Spirit of God produces in us. Isn't it the epitome of Christian life? Submission to the Spirit of God? In Him working His nature and His principles and His mindset through us? Is it not the rescue of our marriages and of our families and of our churches that we submit to the Spirit of God? Because the Spirit of man is destructive. 
It's full of arrogance and pride and all kinds of other things. Among the many things that the Spirit produces in us, notice what it says. The, Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Fruit comes from dominance, you see. Dominated by the Spirit, these things come out of my life. I can't produce them myself. Don't go running after these things. You can't come up with them. It doesn't come from human nature. It comes from the nature of God. The dominance of the Spirit, if you will, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness. Yeah, humility, self-control. Against such things there is no law because you don't have to have. There's nothing. Why would you all want to stop these things? You just need more of them. I need more of them in my family, in my marriage, in my church. I need more of them if I'm living right. I need more. I'm going to see more of them in my communities because I'm going to be a conduit for this, you see. This is very much against the, the, the condition and the culture that we live in, for sure. It's a characteristic of Christ. Second Corinthians, not just what the Spirit produces, but it's a characteristic of Christ. Now, I, Paul, he says, urge myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's who he is. That's who he is. Born to impoverished parents. Right? Being equal with God, but didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't have to prove himself. He had nothing to prove. He humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant, right? Even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him. Matthew 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, as he rides into Jerusalem, right on the donkey. They didn't expect him to come that way. But it's already told us that. By the way, guess where it comes from? Micah. That's where we are. Say to the daughter Zion, behold, your, your king is coming, gentle, meek, humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He come, comes to us in complete meekness, in complete, complete humility. Could have exalted himself, but again, what is meekness? It is power under control. It is power. It's not that he can't defend himself, he just doesn't. Jesus was mistreated in every way, but he didn't defend himself. Jesus didn't defend himself, but he did take a whip made out of three cords and drive everyone out of a temple on occasion, I do believe. Not willing to defend himself, right, but defend his father, to be sure. Power, oh yeah, under control. Meekness doesn't worry about his own injuries. Meekness doesn't worry about his or her own rights. No need to. Father's going to take care of me. No need to. God's my protector. God knows what my rights are. He'll uphold them. That's what meekness does. No need to defend your rights. He who is already low, listen, cannot fall. Think about it. Why are the meek happy? Because you can't offend a humble person. You can't be offended. I'm already down there. Oh, Bill, you know how he is. And I'd be saying, yeah, you're right about that. Let me tell you something else, too. That's humility speaking. That's humility. It's hard to come up with. It's not cowardice. It's not flabbiness. It's not wishy-washy lack of convention. Instead, it's in myself. Nothing is possible. But in God, everything is. It's, it's for myself, I offer no defense. But for God, I will give my life. That's meekness. That's humility. Doesn't stand up for its own rights. Trusts God. Remember the story of Abraham 
Abraham's called out of Ur of the Chaldees, leave your father and mother, leave the land of your birth, and come to a land that I will show you. He sets off on this trip. Can you imagine the, what he told his wife? Where are we going, honey? By the way, that's most men. <laughs> that way. Which way is the, the wind and the sun? Where are you going that way? He takes off over there, travels 1,000 miles roughly, winds up in a place that says God will show you. When he gets there, God says, all this land I've given to you and your descendants. He makes promises to him, unilateral, doesn't have to do anything to keep these promises. God's just going to keep them because God is good, not because Abraham is. Among those things is that he was, the whole world was going to be blessed because he was going to be the, the progenitor of, of the Messiah. So he gives them a land to him as a descendants. He promises them that through his bloodline was going to come the Messiah. And then... He's not by himself. He's, it's him and his wife, but they have a huge honorage of animals and servants and all kinds of stuff. And he has along with him a tag-along relative by the name of Lot. Remember him? His dad, Abraham's older brother, or younger brother, actually passes away. And so Abraham kind of takes him under his wing and starts caring for him. And they get to the place that they've been in the promised land for decades that their, their personal holdings, servants, animals, goats, chickens, ducks, you know, goldfish and all that stuff, get so many that, that they, the land can't sustain them. They were nomadic and they would move to other places. They were effectively overgrazing the promised land. The promised land is not a very big place. And so they, they were, their servants were beginning to get in squabbles and so Abraham puts a stop to it and this is the way he puts a stop to it. Remember the story, he goes to Lot and says, listen, I'm the chosen one, buddy. God's given me all this land. And I'm the one through whom the Messiah is going to come. And so you're going to have to move on. Is that what happened? No. Got a bunch of people who read their Bibles. See, how can I trick these people? The Bible doesn't say that at all. In fact, the Bible says that that's probably what we would have done. But that's not what Abraham did in humility, in meekness. He goes to the tag-along relative and says... The land is before you, pick a place to go, and I will go the other way. Would you have done that? Would you have done that? You see, you say, well, well, he needs to take care of himself. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves. I'm just saying when it comes down to it, who do you really trust? You trust your ability to bless yourself or you trust God's ability to bless you? you trust God's ability, your ability to protect your rights or God's ability to protect your rights? What do you really trust? going to be demonstrated in your actions humility did what he did choose of course he made the wrong choice and god's in charge of all that and it never never hurt abraham a bit not at all because because you don't have to worry about it when you're humble you go first i don't need a thing god will take care if i lack god will take care of me it's a really hard sermon in the culture that we live in because we are so unbelievably prideful and self-focused in the culture that we live in today. We live in a selfie culture. You know what a selfie is, right? I pull out my phone and I take a picture of my incredible face <laughs> after I've made a plate of eggs and uh, bacon. Look how awesome I am. Click, click, click. Put it on Facebook. I drive to San Antonio five hours away. Click, click, click. Look how awesome I am. I drove for five hours. Wow, aren't we impressed with you? I made it through a work day. 
Yay. That's so good. We live in a culture that has no concept of what it was, let's say, centuries ago. Men and women who designed and built, for instance, the cathedrals in Europe. They're, we don't know who built them because they didn't sign their name to them. We, can't, we couldn't imagine that today. Why would I waste my time on Notre Dame, for instance, and not sign my name to it? I can't even cook a plate of eggs without putting it for the whole world to see on a social media. We're so far off, so far from, from the place that God wants us to be, from humility. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't care who you are. You can go to church all day, read your Bible all day, pray all day. But if you can't walk humbly, you can't walk with God. You just can't. You, can't, you just can't walk, walk humbly with our God. And it's not just been something of the recent ages. It's also something of the past ages. For an example, in, 19, in 1789, a guy by the name of Rousseau, you know him, the philosopher, writes a book called Confessions. And in there, he dedicates it, he says, quote, to me with the admiration that I owe myself. Sounds very modern, doesn't it? Sounds like something I could put, put under the picture of my smiling mug with my fried eggs, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a plague of humanity, it really is. Pride, arrogance, separates us from God. Doesn't make us like him at all doesn't put us on his agenda, doesn't put us in the same step with him, doesn't put us in the same direction with him at all. The only way we can be on those things, with those things, is in complete humility. Being in every way exactly who I am and trusting him for the rest. Would you walk humbly with him, with me? I'm going to ask you, would bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And we humble not just our heads, but also our hearts before him. Maybe today you need to say to God, as I do, God, I need humility. God, I need to be real. I need to be my real self with you. I need to be real about my sin. I need to be real about my, my condition. I need to take off this mask that I'm wearing, this facade I need to quit pushing myself in the eyes of people. I need to, need to quit worrying about my rights and what, what I need to do. I need to quit thinking that I'm better able at blessing myself than, than you are. I need humility. I need the happiness of meekness. Lord God, we're asking for that today. We're asking, God, that the truth would dawn on us, that our eyes would be open, that, that we would really see, that we would humble ourselves. There's no fear and humility. There's nowhere to fall from humility. That we would walk in the nature of your son, Jesus, who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. God, we humble ourselves before you today. Wash over us in your spirit of humility, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.